Elder Holland once taught, Every one of us has had times when we need to know things will get better. For emotional health and spiritual stamina, everyone needs to be able to look forward to some respite, to something pleasant and renewing and hopeful, whether that blessing be near at hand or still some distant ahead. My declaration, says Elder Holland, is that this is precisely what the gospel of Jesus Christ offers us. The story of Joseph of Egypt is exactly this, a story of good things to come, despite difficult things we see. In fact, as we study this week, we want to build on our study last week and learn how to not only let the Lord prevail, but let him prosper us, our families, and those we love and serve. Welcome to the Scripture Study Project. We are your hosts, Krista and Zach Horton, and this is our podcast where we study Scripture with you. Our goal each week is to help you discover new or renewed excitement for God and His Word, invest your heart and personal life into your study, and connect with others as you teach and learn together. Hello, friends. Welcome to this week's episode of the Scripture Study Project. We are studying this week in Genesis 37 through 42, and you may notice that we skip a few chapters from last week's study, so they're kind of left out of the study, and we're going to get to that later on in the episode, but just wanted to point you to that. Um, I'm excited to study these chapters for a few reasons. So Genesis 37 through 42, um, I think that this might be probably the only episode that will happen this year that I actually know more about the story than Zach does. Thanks. Well, I was going to say thanks in part to Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat Broadway, <laughs> but actually it's just all that. It's, it's all. <laughs> That's just the only reason. Well, I have had all of those songs stuck in my head this week nonstop. They are very educational. So, and they're pretty spot on. Like it's one of those stories that you're singing the words to it as you are reading and you think, oh yeah, this is exactly what they're singing about in the Broadway. So thanks to um, Spotify and Broadway plays for educating me. And I've, I realized I'm like, I've been talking a lot about pop culture in my education of Bible stories, which I'm, should I be ashamed of or proud of? I'm not sure. It's but. just merging together all good things. <laughs> and I will say, I, I don't plan to sing though. The other alternative starting that I thought about was go, 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 Joe, Joe. That's oh, all. That's all I'm going to sing. But just so you know, it's in my heart as we record this episode. You guys may not know, but uh, Krista's middle name is Joe, and we call her Joe. I call her Joe. We named our daughter after her. And so Joe is a, a popular name in our home. So go, 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 Joe is always a big name. One of our son's name is Roe. So we do go, 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 Roe. And so we're, we like, we like. We're pretty big fans, right? Yeah. It's you, been, it's been playing a lot this week as we've been playing in my head and on our speakers at home too. You know, when your kids, when you ask them to summarize the story and they do it by quoting direct lines from the play that <laughs> At least something has got through. I'm excited for this week because we have a lot of P words, and I am uh, probably aggravatingly addicted to alliteration. So we've got Potiphar and Pharaoh and prosperity, which is the title of the episode, and prison. And, and to still from last week, prevailing. And prevailing. And we were trying to find creative ways to force other things we wanted to say into a list of P word alliterative statements. But No, those were great. Those are the ones we have are perfect, don't you think? <laughs> we were pretty proud when I was like, oh, 
and Pharaoh and Potiphar. So, well, we are going to talk about prosperity. Uh, last week, the our focus was on letting God prevail. We looked at Jacob as that great example of someone who had gotten where he was partly through his own wrestles and had to learn how to let the Lord prevail in his life. And this week, we have kind of a foil example to that because it seems like we pick up the story with Joseph, with Joseph coming with a pre-existing relationship with the Lord. He already knows how to let God prevail and, and not even pre, not just prevail, but to be prosperous. There are multiple times that you'll notice in the story uh, that the Lord was with Joseph. And because of that, Joseph prospered. Um, everything put into his hand prospered. Everything he put his hand over prospered. And so the question we have for us this week, for you this week as you study is, how can I let God not only prevail in my life, how can I let God prosper in my life? Or how can I let him prosper my endeavors to uh, take care of those around me? Now, this question is really similar to last week's question of how to, what does it mean to actually let God prevail and how do I prosper? But I like to look at these stories of, we're looking at Jacob from last week and we really saw it from the last couple weeks. And we really saw this progression of him, you know, using his own means to get what he, what he needed or wanted. And then we saw that study last week where he really was trying to open himself up to God and really let God prevail in his life. And that was a great lesson for us. And I love that we find Joseph in his story, the very beginning of the chapter 37, really starts with him already there. He's already letting God prevail in his life enough so that he's prospering with God. He, it's, it almost seems natural to him um, and almost annoyingly so <laughs> to his brothers. Yeah. And maybe as a reader, sometimes you think, okay, he is kind of a little overzealous or maybe full of himself or whatever. I've thought that a lot, but, um, but that idea of him already being ready to receive instruction, receive in his case, we're going to learn and talk about the dreams and just everything he does is allowing God to prosper him because he's already learned from someone. I like to think that he learned this from Jacob. Jacob already made kind of that arduous journey. And so Joseph is ready to say, I learned this from my my father and I'm going to build on that. And that's what we see him do. Yeah. I love that insight as you've talked about it just in our study, um, because it's such a real experience that uh, our own wrestles to let God prevail are not only for our benefit, but also for the benefit of those that we teach, whether it's our children or students, to be able to help them have a, a belief in and a testimony that God really can make things good and better for us. I like that a lot. And maybe an example of that um, standing on the shoulders of giants, where this really is that happening there. It's Joseph learning from his his father and becoming something great because of it. Yeah. This last week, I had a chance to study this with some students, and we looked at Jacob and Israel and the transformation uh, as symbolic of the transformation we need to make in our own lives. And so we made a list of all of the things that we are most often tempted to Jacob, if you can use his name as a verb. And the list was jobs, school, stress, relationships, uh, mental health, 
All of those were things that we often feel very tempted to just go it alone and do it on our on our own. And then we asked, what would it look like if we were to let God prevail in one of those areas? Um, and it was a fascinating study. And so as we're talking about prosperity this week, uh, I think it's helpful to see that when we let God prevail, he does things prosperously. Even though that may look a little differently in our path towards that prosperity might wind here and there as it does with Joseph, the fact that God prospers things that he touches. When we give him stones, he touches them and they glow. When we give him clay, he molds it into something incredible. When we bring to him a boat, he makes it something that can stand on the waters for a year. Uh, when we bring ourselves to him, he clothes us better than the lilies of the field. Everything God touches prospers. And so the question, this question to us, how can I let God prosper in my life, I think is a really powerful one that we can wrestle with. So what we want to do for our study today is talk about points of about prosperity. Zach made me say I that. I came up with that. <laughs> That's funny. I was going to give you credit and you had to make sure had, that you got oh, yeah. credit. All, all alliterative things in this episode come that, from me. That is true. Okay. <laughs> so and, and for, unfortunately, the first one doesn't even start with the P, but we're going to make it because it kind of rounds out that way. So the first thing that we notice besides his coat of many colors and that he tends sheep is that Joseph had a dream. And that's the first of many dreams that we see in these chapters in this block of, that we're studying this week. Um, there's the dreams that he dreams about himself and what his brothers are going to do. And part of the reasons that his brothers grow even more, um, do you have a P word for uh, not like perturbed. <laughs> perturbed at him? Good one. Um, and then there's, he gets put in prison and there's more dreams that he interprets the dreams. And then he gets out of prison because he is able to interpret dreams. And so this whole thread of this idea of um, Joseph and dreams and prosperity, what does that have to do with something? And for me, I think this was something that I saw as something that Joseph was really good at. And maybe even a way that God communicated with him through dreams. Obviously, he did. He even tells us that when in chapter 41, he interprets Pharaoh's dream. And he says, I am not able to, Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is God who will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. So he's even saying, like, it's really not me that interprets these dreams. I just know how to tell you what God is trying to tell you, which I think is really cool. He interprets his own dreams and he even is able to help other people do that. And so what I thought about this is as a way to transfer that to us, how does this help me prosper, is that Joseph really found a way of communication that was meaningful for him. So this was one of the ways that God communicated to Joseph about how he can prevail and prosper in his life. I'm gonna show you these dreams and you can practice and see how it feels and then go forward and do these things. Now, I know that this is a lot of times in scripture we hear about dreams and even people today. Um, that's not a way that I have really ever, I feel like my dreams are really crazy and erratic. So I try to not admit <laughs> to interpret my own dreams, but I know that there's a lot of meaningful dreams for people. And I do believe that that's a way that um, God can communicate to us. Um, so for me, I just thought this is a really interesting point for us to think about how is it that God communicates with me and how can I practice to make myself 
um, become better at listening and communicating with God. And also, as we see from Joseph, he doesn't just use this gift for himself. He he tries to help others to interpret their dreams because he's pretty good at it, it seems like. Um, and so the P word that I thought of for me would be ponder. Um for me, I feel like when I let room and ponder on things that I'm troubled about or that I'm trying to find answers to, I feel like that's when um, I'm able to hear God's voice and begin to let him prevail. And hopefully, which I've seen, let him allow myself to prosper because I'm listening to him. I like that a lot. So an essential skill to letting God prosper is identifying and being practiced in communicating with him, identifying how he communicates with me and then being practiced in it so that I can use it for my own benefit and and to help others. Right. And from that talk that we referenced last week from President Nelson, that's what he talks about, Mm. the idea of revelation and being really in tune with with what works for us and allowing ourselves time and space to do that in whatever whatever way you find fit. And maybe if one way isn't working anymore or you're having trouble finding answers in one way, maybe you can be flexible and try try different ways. Because I know that's been something for me in my life is that I've found that not every time is the same for me. Obviously, this example of Joseph, we're seeing him, this repeated method of dreams. But um, I think there's just so many different ways in which God can talk to us, that we can receive revelation to help him communicate with us yeah, yeah, or for us to communicate with him. Well, if dreams do matter, my point about prosperity is that clothing doesn't. Now, I know there's a lot of different ways to read this, and so I'm going to read just one interpretation, but clothing is a significant feature in this story deliberately placed there to help mark changes in the story. So some obvious ones. Uh, At the beginning of chapter 37, Joseph is given a coat of many colors, which signifies favor. He was given that coat because he is the oldest son of Jacob's preferred wife, Rachel. And it also could be because of his relationship with the Lord that Jacob recognizes that Joseph is the most spiritually mature of all of his sons and therefore prefers him to be able to lead his family in spiritual matters. My parents always gave me a colored coat. Sorry, I hope all my (laughs) siblings are listening. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Well, then, of course, uh, in verse 23 in chapter 37, Joseph's coat is stripped from him by his brothers. And in a great couple of verses that are laden with... uh, Christological connections, symbols of Christ. Um, His coat is stripped. He's thrown into a pit with no water. He's sold for 20 pieces of silver. They dip his coat in blood. They tear it in pieces. All of those things have uh, direct connections to the Savior. In fact, one of the most, I think, meaningful ways to study the story of Joseph is to look at what we learn about the mission of the Messiah from the story of Joseph. Here's a story of, uh, of a son saving his family, his brothers, just like the divine son saves us. But what I want to focus on isn't uh, that aspect as much as the marker of these cl- uh, items of clothing and how they indicate the different changes that happen in Joseph's life. So he's given a coat that uh, indicates favor, that coat is stripped of him, and he's sold into slavery. So he removes or he's lost from favor. Then uh, we have this inserted chapter in 38 with Judah and Tamar. And in that story, clothing features prominently. 
Uh, Tamar puts off her widow's garment and covers herself with a veil. Could be a veil of mourning or it could be a veil of uh, prostitution, whatever it is. She covers herself in different clothing. When Judah comes to her, she asks from him items of clothing, a signet and a bracelet. And then she puts off her veil and puts back on her garments of widowhood. And then when she confronts Judah at the very end, she gives him the signet and the bracelet to show uh, who he is. So in that story, there's clothing marking a change in a person. Uh, Chapter 39, when we jump back to Joseph, the Judah and Tamar story is meant to be a foil to the very next chapter, Genesis 39, where we have Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Judah acted incorrectly and uh, Joseph acted correctly. And what's interesting is the outcomes of both of those. So in this story, Joseph is in Potiphar's house. He is prosperous, as it says at the beginning of the verse. Everything that is put into his hand did prosper. And yet, when Potiphar's wife comes, uh, he leaves his garment in her hand as he flees, as she tries to, uh, to tempt him. And again, the loss of garment indicates a change in his favor. He's thrown into jail and into prison. Fast forward two chapters in 41, as he gets out of prison, this is verse 14, uh, he, as the verse says, Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon, and he shaved himself and changed his raiment and came in unto Pharaoh. Again, a change of clothing indicating a change of favor or status. And then at the very end of the story, chapter uh, verse 42, Pharaoh gives him a ring and arrays him in vestitures of fine linen and a gold chain around his neck. And so his his status has changed once again. And the point in indicating all of that, at least one lesson I learned from it, is none of it matters. Because in every single place Joseph is in, the Lord helps him to prosper. All of these different clothing items are external indications of Joseph's favor in the eyes of someone else, Uh, whether it's his family, both Jacob's favor and his brother's disfavor, or Potiphar's wife, or Pharaoh himself. They're all external indicators that someone else gives him to show what they think of him. I think the reason Joseph is so prosperous is because he doesn't care about any of that. In each place he is, he prospers because he has a relationship with the Lord that comes without special adornment or without clothing uh, arrayed finely and comes because he has, uh, as you mentioned, an ability to talk with God and hear God talk to him. So you don't think he was sad about losing that coat? He's 17. He probably was. Because it doesn't really say that, I realize. Like, we don't really get to hear if he... Is he sad he's getting sold off or sad that his coat didn't get to come with him? He's probably sad not to have it, at least at some points, don't you think? Well, if the play is any indication, he he is. But whether he is or not, I think the point that Moses in narrating the story is making is that we shouldn't be when we lose coats or gain coats that our external appearance shouldn't matter. Well, Zach already mentioned the um, clothing that Joseph left that kind of was the reason that he got thrown into jail after that encounter with Potiphar's wife um, in Potiphar's home. And I think that that's a pretty well-known piece of the story is that he encounters Potiphar's wife and she tries to get him to lay with him and he runs away and all of that. And I think at least the lesson for that in the P that we're using for that, Potiphar, um, is a way to let God prosper is to continue to do the right thing. 
And I think we see Joseph do that over and over again, is that he said no repeatedly. And when it came down to it, he ran away from the situation that he didn't feel comfortable with and that he knew God didn't want him to, the situation that God didn't want him to be in. Well, again, that contrast with the Judah and Tamar story, you have Judah who at this point is probably assumed the oldest son because Reuben has lost it through his own kind of mistakes. And so you have the oldest son who didn't do the right thing when it would have been easy to do so. And you have Judah, not the youngest, but, but younger son, who did do the right thing when it wasn't easy to do so. And so I like the comparison between the two, that Judah makes a mistake that could have easily have been avoided if he would have just been smart and, and focused on obedience, but he didn't. Whereas Joseph did something that was really hard that anyone could have given into, but he didn't. And again, the outcomes are interesting. Judah, there's not really a consequence for him. In fact, the Davidic kingly line comes through the child that he has with Tamar. Whereas with Joseph, the immediate consequences are are detrimental and could have caused him to look back and regret his his uh, decision to stay righteous in difficult times. And how many of us have felt that that way of, wait, I did the right thing and this is where it got me? <laughs> this is not a reward in any way. And actually that brings us to the next point, the prison, is that that is not a very prosperous place to find yourself is after um, you choose the right or do the right thing, you're put into a prison which feels like punishment instead of something that's going to get you further. There's a lot of good P words in that. Prosperous (laughs) place, punishment, prison, put into... Oh, wow. I didn't even... I'm very proud. (laughs) Yep. I made a pun and I didn't even mean it. Um, But I think that that really just shows us that um, what I liked about the prisons. And we see Joseph getting himself into prisons a couple times in these chapters. And I think that it it shows us that the path to prosperity, again, path to mm-hmm. prosperity, wow, um, isn't always straight. It's not, uh, and we've talked about this a lot, actually, mm-hmm. in these Bible chapters, haven't we, or in the Bible so far, is that it's not a linear path. It does not lead us straight up, but it's instead oh, I'm doing really good. Oh, now I'm in prison again. I'm doing really good. I made the right decision. I'm I'm doing really good. Oh, I'm in prison again. And it lasts for a long time. And people don't fulfill their promises to me, even though I interpreted their dream for them. And here I am still. But in the end, we see where that gets him. And I like, Zach, that point that you pointed out about Judah in thinking about what could have gone through Joseph's mind and maybe did is actually the way that I'm going to prosper right now is doing what Potiphar's wife tells me to do because she's going to allow me to prosper and get me out of my servanthood or out of this place or back with my family. Instead, he chooses the right in spite of that possible reward or manly reward. um, And he chooses something higher and ends up um, at first with no reward, but in the end, a great reward in the court with Pharaoh and given much more than that. I, that's a fascinating point. Um, and it, again, connects to what we studied last week. Had Joseph Jacobed, that's that's too harsh of a criticism for Jacob, but had Joseph tried to work his own way out of his predicament, he probably would have seized what might have been a, a great opportunity in his eyes. Instead, he persisted in choosing the Lord, 
trusting that the Lord alone was capable of eternally lifting him out of his predicament and because of that was rewarded for it. In fact, the final P, uh, Pharaoh, in this story can be seen as a, as a symbol for the king of heaven. And I read the verse already, but I'll read it again. This is 41 verse 42. Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it upon Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck and made him to ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried before him, bow the knee. And he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. Um, a little bit later on in our story, not this week, but next week, Joseph will, of course, meet his brothers as they come to Egypt. And his perspective on what has happened, I think, is really insightful. This is chapter 45, verse 4. I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. And I love that Joseph's perspective is that God has led his entire path and has prospered him, even though that prosperity took him into Potiphar's house and into a prison and saw him robbed of his clothing and his, his favor, uh, that Joseph recognizes that the Lord has been with him and has made his hand to prosper the things that were given to him. Now we realize that all of these things, there's no not one exact answer to allowing God to prevail in our lives or to gaining prosper from the Lord. But I think that as we think of these things on an individual basis, as you study and look at Joseph's life of what he did, I think that this can really be something that allows us to grow closer to God and really let him um, guide us and direct us in the ways that will be most meaningful for our own personal lives. So take that question, how do I let God prosper in my life? We have a wonderful study. Now, before we end, we want to share with you just one connect idea as you study this with others, students, family members, etc. cetera. Uh, you've undoubtedly noticed that the Old Testament uh, has some stories in it that are particularly prickly. There's some more P words for you. Um, they're difficult to read. In fact, Christy, you mentioned that this, the Come Follow Me manual skips over a couple of chapters in Genesis, and it will continue to do so in upcoming blocks. Uh, the chapters it skips over are ugly. Uh, one of Jacob's daughters, Dinah, uh, is taken advantage of and has a horrible experience. And then her brothers, in revenge, uh, do horrible things in revenge. Uh, the story of Judah and Tamar is not a, uh, an especially uplifting or enlightening story. And a lot of times when we study this with other people, there's a question, especially if we're teaching uh, youth or, 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 uh, or others, what do you do with hard stories like this? Do you just skip over them? Do you ignore them? Um, even when you uh, encounter difficult things you read about people that are righteous, when you find the text uh, not ex especially glowing about a particular individual, um, or when we find something in church history that uh, that is troubling, what do you do with those kinds of moments? Well, one idea is this. Um, the administrator of seminaries and institutes, Chad Webb, has said recently, and I love this, he said that at least in church education, we need to move from only praising the ideal to also honoring the struggle. And what he means by that is uh, we 
often in our approach to scriptures emphasize idyllic doctrines, principles, and practices. We find the hero and we follow the hero's story, and we love it. And we should do that. We shouldn't lessen our attention to saving doctrines and principles. We definitely shouldn't lessen our focus on Christ and what he does. However, we should add to our study a realization and an acknowledgement that all of us are having a human experience and that none of us are living the ideal life. And so as we approach some of these stories, it might be helpful to pause and say, where do we find ourselves even in the difficult stories? And what do we learn from this particularly difficult story that I can take back into my life? Uh, at the very least, can I learn that God loves us even in difficult times? As we mentioned, uh, from Judah and Tamar, from this horrible story, comes the line of kings, David and Solomon, and eventually Jesus himself comes from this line. And so even though the story is, a, is an ugly one, it's not one that turns God's attention away. He stays focused on these individuals and on their, their posterity, showing that God loves us even when we're having uh, a particularly human moment. And so as you study this with others, of course, identify the truths, point those out, testify of them, but also make some space to acknowledge the struggle people might have. Thank you so much for studying with us this week and this episode. We will see you next week.